Uh, good morning. I uh, also want to say a happy Father's Day to everyone. Um, you know, fathers are a vital role in the institution of the family. And there is a direct assault on masculinity today in our culture and in our world. And God has called men to be husbands and he's called some to be fathers. And God has encharged us and entrusted us with the task of being bold and raising our families and being leaders. Uh, the ones who will be accountable for their families. And so it's such a noble task, it's such an honorable task, and I'm very fortunate and blessed to be a father myself, and I, I want to wish everyone out there, especially those of you fathers, happy Father's Day. Today we continue our series on having success, and we find ourselves addressing the idea of what it means to have spiritual success in our families, or what does it mean to be successful in our homes. And what I want us to do this morning is to narrow our focus on the nuclear family, i.e. moms, dads, children. And so what I intentionally, what I, when I first started this, what I wanted to do is look at the horizontal relationship between co-spouses, between um, husbands and wives, the equal relationships that they share, and the vertical relationship between children and their, children and their parents. And what I want to do today, instead of looking at the vertical relationship between the parent and the child, because I have uh, a lot to say about the relationship between the, the man and the woman, I want us to spend the majority of our time, if not all of our time, this morning talking about the relationship between the husband and wife. You know, in all my 29 years of existence, I have never heard anyone stand up and say, gee whiz, I wish my family was dysfunctional. Even those people who live outside of the will of God, who do not run in the same spiritual circles that you and I do, do not wish chaos and turmoil in their homes. I've never heard anyone say, I really wish that my father was emotionally and physically and verbally abusive to my mother. I've never heard anyone say, gee, I wish that my parents would have set us down on the end of our beds and say, who do you want to live with on the weekends? Nobody. Nobody, even those who are not Christians, do not wish that upon their families. God does not want our families to be dysfunctional. The very creator of the institution of the family himself wants it to operate and function the way that he designed it. You know, sometimes I think we look out in our society and we look at different facets and institutions in our society. Uh, for example, we look at the educational system and we say, man... You know, it's just not like it was when you and I were kids. You know, they're taking God out of schools and they're doing all of these things. Then we look at our government and we say, man, the government's just getting worse and worse and worse. These legislatures, they're just enacting all these ungodly laws and it's just getting bad. And I will agree with you that there has been a compromise in those institutions over a period of time. But I think a lot of those things stem back to the very core fundamental seed of our society our homes, and our families, where people are generated and birthed and brought out into society, I think that there has been a deviation over a period of time from God's Word and the foundation that He set up for a functioning family in our society. And because of that, we see things manifest in other institutions such as our government and our educational system. And so what we want to address this morning is how you and I can have a godly, successful relationship in our homes. 
Now, you and I as Christians are mature enough to know what success is in our family. We understand that a successful family is not dad rolling home in the Lamborghini while mom's still out getting her nails done, going Pilates next while the nanny picks up the kid from private school. We understand that. There is nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing sinful about those things. But that is not the illustration of what God has ordained or what God has said as success or defined and illustrated as success in our families. Success in our families is being able to sit at home not ever worrying about that doorbell ringing with someone say, here, here's your new divorce in Denton County. Success in our families is fostering and nurturing homes where homes are a safe haven, where families can grow and be spiritual and grow in, in Jesus Christ and knowledge. That homes are a place where children are being loved by their parents and that their parents are respecting and loving one another. And so that people are fulfilled and so that the operation of God is being played out. And we want to learn how do we, how do, we do that. And the scriptures teach us how to do that. And what are we talking about when we talk about having successful families? What is a family? A family is a relationship. It's a relationship between a husband and a wife. It's a relationship between a parent and a child. They're relationships. So when we're talking about how do we have successful, effective families, we're asking the question much more narrowly, how do we have successful relationships? You know, there's a theory out there called social exchange theory. I remember reading about it in college. And essentially what it says is this, is that you and I are very selfish people when we enter in relationships. In fact, all relationships are selfish. We enter into relationships because we want that relationship to reciprocate something back to us, right? Makes sense. You enter into a marriage, why? Because what? You want that companionship. You want that intimacy. You want all of those things that a marriage provides for you by entering into that relationship. You enter into business relationships and network. Why? Because there's something from that relationship that you want to extract. And that person voluntarily enters into a relationship with you because they want something reciprocated from you. And so what we need to learn how to do is, is since we're reciprocating things back and forth in relationships and since we're going to reciprocate things to our spouses, we need to learn how to effectively do that and how we build strong, godly families, strong spiritual families by learning how to build good relationships. And so what is the goal of having a spiritually successful family? The goal is this. Number one, to have peace in your home. Number two, to have commitment and to have trust in your home. Number three, to make our home safe havens and environments of love. Number four, to have our home sanctuaries where each member, child and spouse, is being nurtured and built up in Jesus Christ. And so how do we do that? We know that God's Word provides us instruction for how to do that. And so we're going to spend our time this morning looking at the marriage relationship because I think that that's where it starts in the leadership in the home as the husband and then the wife. You know, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 28, he says, But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. And so the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians there, and he says, you know what? Really, it's better not to be married, because if you enter into a marriage relationship, there's going to be conflict in that relationship. However, if you choose to be married, that's an honorable thing too, but I'm just telling you that there's going to be conflict in that relationship. And that makes absolute sense. Why? 
Because you're taking two different people, no matter what commonalities you might share, and you're bringing them together and you're making them one flesh, you're making them one unit. And there's going to be abrasive things about that. There's going to be things that are just inherently different, no matter how common you are. And that's going to produce conflict. You know, Jesus was talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 19, and he was talking to them about marriage. And what's kind of funny is at the end of that, that, that conversation, it says the disciples kind of said amongst themselves, well, if this is the reality of marriage, well, then I guess it's better not to be married. And Jesus kind of says, well, you know, to each his own, but abstain from fornication, do these things, then to be married. But I want you to know that even as complicated and as hard as marriage can be, it's still something that was instituted by God, and it's still something that's revered by God and honored by God. In fact, the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, marriage is honorable and that the bed is undefiled. The Bible also tells us in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And so when we're talking about the marriage relationship, it's something that God ordained. It's something that God cherishes. It's something that God is, is, is certainly proud and expects you and I to do to abstain from fornication. And so I don't trying to say that marriage is a bad thing, but the Apostle Paul was quite frank with us. He was quite honest with us when he told us there will be conflict in your home if you are married. There will be those times of conflict. You know, there's something I think that is special about marriage. Um, you know, you look out into society and you see people enter relationships, you see people exit out of relationships. You see marriages birthed and you see marriages destroyed. But you know what? People keep doing it. There's something to it. Because people keep choosing to do it because there is inherently something special with the design that God has made in the institution of the marriage. You know, you talk to guys like Mike, you talk to elders at different congregations who do a lot of counseling, who go into a lot of homes where there's a lot of turmoil and try to figure out a lot of these issues. And it's an, always, an, I always hear the same things, the same things from these guys. They said, you know, we go into the home and, and we take the wife and we take the woman and we go in there and we say, okay, what's the issue? And she'll sit there and say, you know what? You know, I just feel like he does not love me. He shows no affection for me. He shows no intimacy towards me. I just feel like he honestly doesn't like me. I feel like he honestly doesn't love me. And they okay. And then they go in there and they talk to the man. They set the man down. Okay, what's the issue? You know what? She just doesn't respect me. She does not respect me. I go to work. I, come, I spend 10 hours a day at work. I come home. Before I can even get in the door, she's on me about the trash that didn't get taken out last week. Excuse me, I've only worked 10 hours a day. And can I at least sit down before? She just does not respect anything that I do. And it's this inherent conflict. It's a cyclical, it's a cyclical beast. In fact, if you look at, at the chart here, if a woman doesn't feel loved, it's hard for her to return if her husband respect. And if it's hard for a man not to feel respected from his wife, it's hard for him to show affection and love to his wife. And if this cycle is not being fed properly, then you're going to have dysfunction in the home. And you're going to have a breakdown between the husband and the wife. You know, even so much, this issue is so much important that the Apostle Paul addressed it in Ephesians chapter 5. And that was read to us this morning. But in Ephesians chapter 5, this is going to be the heart of our sermon this morning. It says, beginning in verse 21, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, 
Submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, having, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his, his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord of the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined unto his wife. And they shall too become one flesh. And this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And then look here, verse 33. This is the heart, the summation of everything that he's saying there. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverences her husband. Or also some translations say, see that she respects her husband. Going back to our cycle of love and respect. That's really the fundamental core of what we're talking about. If a woman does not feel the inherent love from her husband, it's hard for her to return, give her wife, I mean her husband, respect. And the more I thought about this, is that's it, right? That's the cure. That's the prescription, right? Just, just respect your husband's wives and uh, wives love your husbands and everything's golden, right? I, you know, we have real problems. We have bills pouring out of our ears. We can't open our mouth without tearing each other's heads off. I mean, literally, we have real practical, you know, problems. But I want us to look at this much deeper. I want us to go much deeper than the surface of just love and respect. I want to see how this really plays out. Let's go back to verse 33. Reading it again, it says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverences her husband. Do you know, talking about husbands, do you know what that doesn't say for us as husbands? It doesn't say, Kyle, you can start loving Jessica just as soon as she starts showing you some respect and giving you the respect that you deserve and that the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. Then you can start reciprocating that love to her. It doesn't say that. You know what it says? It says, Kyle, you love your wife regardless. Period, statement, declarative sentence, command. That's it. That's it. It's not conditioned upon anything. You know what it also says? It doesn't say, you know, wives, um, start respecting your husbands just as soon as they start showering you with love and the things that you need and the affection. It doesn't say that. It says that you have an obligation and a command. If you're going to be successful in your relationship, in your marriage, you have an obligation to do that. Period. Regardless. Doesn't matter what the other person is doing. And I know that's extremely hard. I know when me and Jess, for me and Jessica got married, we, had, we went through marriage counseling. We saw two marriage counselors. We saw Jay Lloyd, uh, my uncle, back in Arkansas, and we uh, talked to her uncle, uh, Uncle Mike. And I remember Mike McCorkle telling us in, um, in our marriage counseling, Kyle, there will be times that you feel like you are giving 100% in this relationship, and there's going to be times that you feel like Jessica's only giving 40 
you know what? You've got to give 100%. That's it. It doesn't say that you can slack off. It says you still have to give 100%. And he said the same thing to her. Jessica, there's going to be times when you feel like you're giving 100%. And there's going to be times that you look at Kyle and think, he's given 3%. Guess what? You still got to give 100% for it to be successful. And so the importance of the perseverance, the importance of the determination to want to be successful in your marriage should be precedent. And the fact that God has commanded us that we have to treat our spouses this way. You know, a lot of times I think a lot of the disconnect between spouses is the disconnect in our communication. We are inherently different as men and women. There is no question about it. Physiologically, uh, emotionally, God has designed us much different than our counterparts. And one of the things I think that we are, one of the ways that we are different from one another is the way that we communicate to one another. You know, for instance, um, my wife's not so much this way, but I've got a number of friends who, you know, who will tell me, you know, if my wife goes into her closet and she opens it up and she looks and says, honey, I have nothing to wear. Well, living in North Dallas in, in our culture, that doesn't mean that she literally has nothing to wear. A lot of times she is conveying... I don't see anything in my closet that I feel like I want to wear today. But sometimes you can go ask certain men, and I'm more so this way, maybe not to the extreme. They can go open up their closet and say, you know, honey, I don't have anything to wear. And what that literally means a lot of times for a lot of men is literally there's nothing in here to wear. I have no socks. I have nothing. And so even though it's the same dialogue, it's the same thing being communicated, it's two different messages that's interpreted completely different. Let me give you a more practical illustration you know, say a husband wants to express love and affection to his wife. He thinks, you know what? I'm flying, er- I'm flying in early from Seattle today. I'm going to land early. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to walk through that door. I'm already going to call her sister and see if the kid- sister, her sister can watch the kids. And then I'm going I'm to surprise her. I'm going to take her out. I'm going I'm, I'm to have a, a very romantic evening with her. And you know what? I'm going to express that to her. That's going to be my expression of love to her very noble thing. It's a great thing to do. Flies in early, gets a DFW, gets in an Uber, gets back home, walks through the door, opens the door. She's there, and she looks at him and says, oh, well, you're home early. Oh, well, well since you're here, why don't you go ahead and take the kids to uh, um, soccer practice, and, you know, uh, I, I'm going to have to go to the PTA meeting. I'm running late, and uh, my sister's going to watch the kids. Thank goodness she called here. Uh, and so uh, just make you a sandwich, and then, um, you know, I'll see you when I get home. And he just says, well, <laughs> well, I guess it's good to see you too. And he throws his coat up on the rack and goes down the hallway, and then they don't say anything, and then she's wondering why he's upset. And, uh, it's a communication. It's just a miscommunication. What was intended to be communicated was not receptive properly. And what we have to understand is <laughs> that we're going to be successful in our relationships is we've got to understand the way that we communicate with one another because we're different. We're different the way that God has designed us. And so... Um, we need to effectively learn uh, and take time to know our spouses and how they communicate and so that we can fulfill our obligation that we learned about in Ephesians chapter 5 of expressing uh, love and respect to one another. I have really four principles for us to be successful uh, in our relationships. Number one is this, is that for your relationship with your spouse to be spiritually successful, to be godly and successful, is that you've got to have determination that you want it to be successful. 
You know, I remember uh, before me and Jessica got married, uh, I, I, was, I became a Christian when I was 18. I got married when I was around 22. So, uh, not, I was raised in church, but really wasn't saved until I was 18. And I, and I took Jessica aside and we were dating. I said, hey, look, you know, uh, I love you. And I'm, we kind of were talking about marriage. And I said, I just want you to know that I really don't want to be divorced. Don't really have intentions of being divorced. Um, and um, really, divorce is not an option for me. So if you're on the same board with that, then, you know, I think we should continue this. And she kind of told me the same thing, right? So we set that up as a precedent, as a determination, and we know that so we don't really have to remind ourselves. We just inherently know that, look, we're in it for the long haul. But you know what that can do sometimes? And I've noticed this. Sometimes that we know that we're committed to each other, that we kind of weaponize that against ourselves right? Can that happen to us? You know, we're Christians, you know, we're not, we're not going to, you know, you're not, we're, we're committed to one another, and because of that, then I can just let my tongue fly off and say whatever I want to say, and I can be as harsh and, and, and do all of those things. And shame on us for doing that. Shame on me for doing that. Don't use the fact that God has given us a blessing, that we're trying to follow what he says as a weapon against one another. And so, it's important to be determined, to be de- determined that you want to be successful in a marriage, but also keep that in mind uh, when you're considering determination and being successful. Number two is that we need to be motivated, motivated to have a successful relationship. You know, the idea of motivation is simply just not the idea of that I'm going to exist in this relationship, that I'm going to be existent and a non-participant. You know, sometimes I've heard people say in the past, you know, well, you know, we've been married for 10 years, and quite frankly, we're really miserable with one another, but I think we're going to stay together for the kids, right? Well, let me tell you something. That's a good reason to stay together. As if it's some moral high ground that we're going to stay together because we have children. Yes, God, God, God expects you to consider your children and to love them. But since you're going to stay together, and since you're motivated by something, the motivation of your children, how about you be motivated by what God's Word tells you that you can unlock in a successful marriage? Happiness, commitment, peace, trust, all those things that a marriage can provide. Why not fulfill yourself in those things? And so proper motivation. And there's a lot of little things like that motivated. Motivated for our children, motivated for whatever. But ultimately, our motivation be sourced from, derived from uh, what the Scriptures pattern for us as being successful. Thirdly, we need to become good and effective communicators. And we briefly touched on that issue about how we communicate. But I can tell you something. I can be 100% right about a topic. I can be 100% accurate. My wife can, you can, your spouse can be. But guess what? If you enter into a relationship and you're in a heated exchange or a heated battle, and you're arguing, and you're harsh with one another, it's never going to be effective. It's never going to be effective. I remember Mike told us in in our marriage counseling, he said, you know what? You're never going to win a battle when you're emotionally charged. Never going to win it. And so I think the idea he gave was just write it down and put it on the refrigerator and revisit it when you're not so emotionally charged. That's good, sound advice, right? And the Bible speaks uh, of that issue. It says... uh, Excuse me, going backwards. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, Husbands, love your wives, 
and be not bitter against them. The way that we communicate should be respectful to one another. The way that we should communicate should be loving to one another. And the fourth thing that I've got, and my last point about being successful in our relationship and our marriages, is understanding the comparison between Jesus Christ and the church and the marriage. If you go back, as we just read in Ephesians chapter 5, there is a comparison there. There's a comparison between Christ as head of the church and husbands as head of the home. And that's the beauty and that's the image and the portrait that's being played out in the relationship. And once we're able to see the relationship and the dynamic between Christ and his church, and we see how that carries over into our marriage, then I believe that we'll be uh, successful. You know, a lot of times it talks about the wives being reverent to their husbands, being subjection to their husbands. There's a comparison of the husband. It's a comparison of Christ that had the church, that he is leader, that he is to take charge of his home. But you know what that also entails as us as husbands? It also entails that we've got to be sacrificial. Just as Jesus laid down his life for the church and gave everything he could to provide and to love for it, that is the image of the husband in the home. And as soon as that we can understand that and we can see that, then I think our marriages will certainly flourish. And so this week, when you go out and you're engaged in, the, in life and you leave the, the comfort and the safety of these you know, four walls here at church and you're in real life, real world situations. Wives, what can you do? Today's Father's Day. Working on being respectful to your husbands. means appreciating them. If they come through the door, need a few minutes, give them a few minutes. Be less confrontational with them. Show any, anything you can do to show respect to them. Husbands, put down the remote. Do something to be affectionate, be something loving. I have, no, I have no option this week. My anniversary is tomorrow. It'll be seven years of marriage, so I am on the hook for this. I, I am uh, going to have to do that, which I'm certainly glad to do it. But uh, find ways to show love and respect to one another. I appreciate your attention this morning. Uh, if there be someone who needs to bring a matter before the congregation or one who uh, would like the prayers of the church, please come forward as we stand and sing.